welcome back to Basecamp. In today's episode, we're picking back up on our parenthood discussions. Now, in our last episode, as a reminder, we talked about biblical communication and about how, in our parenting, we can often limit ourselves to just rules, correction, and punishment. Yet, we saw a few other rich ways to communicate with our kids. Things like encouragement, rebuke, entreaty, instruction, warning, and prayer. And we talked about how we need to not simply stop the previous things. No, it's very much still needed. Rules, correction, and punishment, it's still very much needed. But rather, we need to add to our repertoire of parenting vocabulary some of these other types of communication. We also talked about how we are constantly communicating the truths of God's Word and applying it to the whole spectrum of life at every opportunity, to our minds and to our hands, as Deuteronomy 6 entreated us. And while we also don't want to focus simply on outward conformity, the reality is our kids will have times when they misbehave. I know, shocker. And we must deal with that. So for today, we're diving into a discussion on obedience and what to do when we can't get to the heart. Now, it's important to note right from the beginning of today that the pursuit of our children's hearts should be the primary focus in our parenting. Yes and amen. But we still have to deal with behavior as well. Right? We can't simply ignore bad behavior just because we know it's springing from a bad heart, right? I mean, a doctor must treat the underlying cause, but he doesn't ignore the symptoms. Thus, children need to be reminded of the requirements of God's law and simply know how to live in the world. See, in life, you'll face plenty of situations where your child's folly will combine with the difficult or awkward circumstances, and, and you'll have to be forced in that moment to temporarily set aside addressing the heart and focus on their behavior. And now this might be due to a couple of things. It, it might be due to a particular urgent situation, right? So, so for example, your three-year-old son is standing in the middle of the street and a car is rushing at him. <laughs> Do you have time to reach the heart of your child? <laughs> no, to, to help him understand the folly of standing in the street, to desire wisdom in that moment. No, no, you need him to obey right away as you scream, get out of the street right now. <laughs> Or in other developmental stages, for example, a two-year-old, uh, two-year-old children, they can speak around 250 words. A three-year-old kid can typically speak around a thousand words. That is a fourfold leap in their ability to communicate from age two to three. So in order to reveal their hearts, our children have got to be able to explain what they are going through. And as we said in our lesson on communication, parenting is both a monologue and a dialogue. But when a child is limited to 250 words or less, many of which are colors or have to do with food, there is not much that they can say to convey their heart. What does that mean? Well, it means parents of children under two, and, and sometimes under three, will have to primarily deal with obedience, because the child's vocabulary is limited, and they don't have as many words to express what they're going through though they often can understand much more than they can say. But as we've talked about, most of our early parenting days with little kids are helping them understand authority. And so that's what we are to give ourselves to as parents. So let's look at the biblical basis for obedience in our kids. And to do this, we'll turn to the famous passage of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, where it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for 
this is right. Now, who is Paul addressing? Well, he's speaking to children, those kids who are, more than likely, sitting in the gathering and hearing this letter being read to them, or, or their parents will take this and read to them later, right? And, and that's cool, because Paul has this, this word especially for their little hearts. And what is Paul saying? Well, he's commanding them to be obedient to their parents, but then he attaches two qualifying statements, right? The first is, in the Lord. Now, Paul is writing to Christians and is considering in this whole section of Scripture God's means of ordering relationships in the home, right? Husbands and wives, parents and children, slaves and masters. He's not considering obedience just for obedience's sake. It's a strange thing to say, obedience's sake. Uh, he's not doing that, but, but specifically considering obedience uh, that should be done in the Lord. He's teaching about obedience that should be consistent with our faith, which means parental orders should reflect biblical Christian values, training children in righteousness. Certainly, our commands should never come in conflict with the law of God, right? And then look at that other qualifying statement, for this is right. Now, on what basis does Paul say this is right or wrong? Well, he gives us at least one part of that basis with verse 2 when he cites an Old Testament command. We obey our parents because God has commanded us to honor our father and mother. Our obedience is grounded in the very law of God. Ephesians 6, 2, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So notice here that there's a promise of blessing for those who will honor their parents. The scripture's primary command to children is obey and honor. Now, note also this passage in Ephesians is immediately followed by a command for fathers not to exasperate their children, but more on that <laughs> later on. But let's turn now to a definition of obedience. If that's the goal, then what, what is a good definition of obedience? Now, no definition is perfect, but this is a fairly good one. Obedience is the willing submission of one person to the authority of another. The willing submission of one person to the authority of another. And this submission is essentially manifested in two ways, right? My child does what I tell him to do, like take out the trash, or my child refrains from doing what I tell him to not do. Don't touch the stove, it's hot. For, for the child, however, obedience is more than just doing what he is told. It, it means doing what he is told without challenge or excuse, without delay, and without grumbling, and without an attitude. And so uh, let's look at all three of those in turn so firstly, obe obedience, obey, without challenge or excuse. As every parent intuitively knows, when you command for your child to do something, when that's met with comments about fairness, that's not fair, with excuses or explanations, or, or with an alternative plans or tantrums, all of those things mean your child is not obeying you. <laughs> you say, clean up your toys, and your child responds, but dad, I want to play. Or you announce it's time for bed, and your daughter responds, Why do I always have to go to bed so early? Right? Obedience needs to be without challenge or excuse, or else your child is not obeying you. And there needs to be a consequence for this kind of disobedient behavior. And as your kid grows, and once your children understand that they are to obey without challenge, then we can begin to teach them how to respectfully appeal to their authorities to you and your spouse, 
right? Something that will come in handy, not just in your own household, but in the future days as they deal with employers and others who are in authority over them. This is kind of like a little safety valve for your children. They know they have permission to appeal the directive, and they know that mom and dad will honestly reconsider and will rescind if it is good for the individual or family. And so a little example of that. Let's say you walk in the room and it's 7 p.m. And that's the time where your daughter normally puts away her toys and goes to bed. You ask her to put away her toys and to get ready for bed. But suppose mommy has just told her, right before you walked in, that she can have an extra 10 minutes to play before bed. So your daughter could graciously and respectfully appeal, which from your child, could they could say, for example, Dad, can I, can I tell you something? And then ex- explains to you what mom had said. Thus, this process of appeal is recognizing the fact that parents are sinners, they don't know everything, and they can have blind spots. And unless I have a good reason, I don't want to override mom's previous direction. And some ca- sometimes your kids might have a legitimate request. And that's a good thing. And we need to teach them how to do that and how to do that well. Now, two helpful notes on this. Note one, you only open up room for appeals once you have first established the obedience occurs without challenge or delay. And that's, that's really important. So you only open up room for appeal once they you first established that you want them to obey without challenge or delay. Secondly, good note, this is an excellent method to help you obey Ephesians 6.4. So firstly, uh, obedience without challenge or excuse. Secondly, obedience without delay. And obedience needs to be immediate. See, when our kids refuse to respond at once and do what we are asking, then they are disobeying us, which is not acceptable. So for example, your son is playing with Legos and you ask him to pick up his toys. Well, rather than responding immediately, he says, "Uh, I'll go after I finish building this tower. Or, Or you ask him to come to you and instead of coming right away, he takes a minute to finish his coloring. And this is what I mean when we talk about obedience needs to be immediate. Or else what is really happening is that they are not obeying you. Now, you might be wondering, well, how immediate? I mean, how immediate does this need to happen? And I guess that's the question. <laughs> and, and in this, you don't need to get it like the stopwatch out on your phone. And no, your child simply needs, when you give a command to commence obeying your direction and stop pursuing their own will. Why? Well, because our goal is to teach them to submit their will to the authority of another, and their delay threatens to diminish or prevent this kind of obedience. So firstly, we want obedience without challenge or excuse, then obedience without delay, and then thirdly, obedience without grumbling or complaining. Obedience needs to be with a proper attitude. Right? When your child follows through with the command and yet complains about it the whole time, they are not obeying. Philippians 2.14, do everything without complaining or arguing. That's every parent's favorite verse. <laughs> and as a parent, you are establishing a standard for what a healthy submission to authority looks like. You're asking for obedience without excuse, without delay, without complaining. And if you accept any other response, then you're training your child to disobey, to have a disobedient heart. And here's a practical tip to help. When you're asking your children to do something, have them come and stand before you. Like like actually physically come stand before you, right before you give them a command. This helps for several reasons. 
First, you can speak with them face-to-face rather than bellowing out a command from across the room or yelling upstairs or down to the basement and wondering if they even heard you. Secondly, you can teach them to make eye contact, which is incredibly important for your child to learn how to do. And then thirdly, you can make sure they heard your command before you chastise them for delaying. A response like, yes, daddy, or yes, mom, affirms they heard and will obey. Now, children won't naturally come to you when you ask them to, especially if they're in the middle of something. Uh, Remember, even you and I, we don't hear our spouse ask us to do something if we're involved with another task. (laughs) And our kids are the exact same way. So teach them to come to you and start training them to do this at an early age. Now, if you have older children and have not established these three things, right, all the way, right away, and no grumbling, as as well as you might have, this doesn't mean that you can't still work on these things. And it doesn't mean that they won't respond as you start these things. All it means is that you need to invest some time in dialogue and instruction to help your child understand the importance of what you're trying to establish. But now let's talk about obedience from our perspective as parents. There's a couple of things that we need to ensure that we are doing to help set a good environment for teaching obedience in our homes. And the first is a call for consistency. See, brother and sister, we must be consistent in our parenting so that we don't confuse our kids and undermine our own authority or the authority of our spouse in raising our kids. So so clear directives and consistent reinforcement are essential for obedience to work well. Not only that, but it hurts a child if you utter a command and you do not follow through because they learn to not take your commands and your authority seriously. They see your words as threats which have no consequences rather than commands which have real consequences. And as we mentioned, there are theological reasons for establishing your authority in their lives. They will come to learn about God's authority as they learn to submit to ours. It's this prototype kind of relationship. Thus, when we make threats which have no consequences, what are we explaining to them about who God is and what he's like and how he relates to us? And also, from our perspective as parents, we need one another as spouses to have the exact same standards so that our kids expect the same things from both of us. So you and your spouse need to be on the same team, have the same rules, the same standards, right? And you must enforce these same standards for obedience, whether one of you or, or you know, the other one is, is gone out of the house. So for example, if one of you allows your kids to touch books on the bottom shelf and the other doesn't, It's easy for kids to get really confused, right? Daddy allowed it, mommy said no, and poor kid gets confused. (laughs) So parents, it's your responsibility to make sure that you're reinforcing the same set of rules, which means that the two of you need to just regularly talk to each other about obedience and what you want for things to look like. And when there are new rules that are instituted, you should quickly inform your spouse so that they're on the same page in the house rules. Also, as an incredible benefit, this will help teach your children early that they cannot use one parent against the other. (laughs) I remember doing that as a kid. It was not good. Uh, Another helpful tip as well is to defer to one another as spouses. So ask, well, what did mom say? Or what did dad say? 
and if you need to, confer together before giving an answer. A next word for us as parents is a call to encouragement. Our, our kids need encouragement. We talked about that a little bit last week, but, but it's so true. Do you intentionally praise your children when they do something well? See, because we spend so much time correcting our kids, it's easy to let encouragement drop off, especially if you're frustrated. Right? Discipline restrains their bad behavior, but encouragement reinforces good behavior. It's our offense, remember? You don't want to spend all your time just correcting your child. Children grow in obedience when they hear your encouraging words as well. Be intentional about encouraging your children. Catch them doing things right and encourage them in it. Like, hey, I saw actually how you did that for your brother. Great job doing that. That is something that God loves and is showing and teaching you how to be a good man. Great job, buddy. Hey, I saw how you served mommy and how you took that chaos of that that uh, <laughs> that cabinet and, and brought order to it. Great job of taking chaos and bringing order. Isn't that exactly what God wants us to do? Great job, honey. Right. Notice when they do something right and encourage them in it. It reminds me, I was listening to an audiobook this past week, uh, Douglas Wilson's Future Men, which is a fantastic book. If you are a husband uh, and learning how to raise future men, so if you have little boys in your home, uh, or even little girls, uh, there's a lot of things in there. I would I would highly suggest it. It's not just for you know moms and dads raising little men. It's also really uh, instructive for us, even as as men and women, and knowing who we are and how to parent really well. So, if you're looking for a book, uh, Douglas Wilson's Future Men is very good. In this book, Wilson explained that when our children jump off something and they break a chair, uh, our natural response might be to chastise them as we think about the cost involved in replacing that table and how they should have just thought better, not done that. But, Wilson explains, the eyes of faith see that same instance and desire instead to encourage our children for their ingenuity, spontaneity, courage, and strength, while also teaching them better ways of not doing that same thing next time. How do we, how do we encourage the good things here without getting to that that same outcome of this broken table next time. See, it's so much easier to chastise them rather than train them and encourage them. In our homes, ought to seek to encourage these things as we see it in our kids, that they might learn how to flourish and how to do things better next time. Also, as parents, we need to ask God for a lot of discernment in parenting. We need to use wisdom and prudence, right? As believers, we want to follow Scripture's guidelines, but we have to recognize that if we look at the finer details in every family, there are going to be some differences. I mean, God has created every child drastically differently. <laughs> so, so, so we have to take into account those differences as we parent. I mean, my, my two boys, for example, are polar opposites in many ways. And parenting them the exact same way would be no benefit to them and would be frustrating for me. Which, by the way, is why we need to take time to get to know our kids because they are all so different from one another. So, example, perhaps one of your kids needs a little calming down time before you give extensive instruction, whereas another may be able to hear effectively right in the moment. So don't get angry at one because they, they need a calm down moment before they can hear and understand. 
right? We, we, need to, we need to walk with our kids where they're at in that moment and show a lot of grace to them. Which brings us to our next point, that we as parents need to remember to be gracious with our kids. Think of me for a moment. How patient is Christ with you? How, how tender is he in his care for you? What, what demands does he make of you? And how does he respond to your sin? So, brother, be gracious towards your children. Sister, be gracious towards your children. When you ask your child to obey, be, be thoughtful about what you're asking. Think about how often we're not thoughtful about our kids. For example, uh, let's say uh, Junior spent all afternoon building a Lego ship, but it's not quite done yet. But now it's time to clean up his room. You could allow him to leave the ship out along with any kind of key necessary parts that will be installed the next day. Or if you see them really just engrossed in a project and you know it'll be time to leave soon, you could give them a five-minute warning. Now, most of us are not going to be intentionally mean to our kids. Yet in the middle of busy days, and especially when you're rushed, you can sometimes ask our kids for obedience without any consideration for what they're doing. So, so take care uh, to be thoughtful, gracious, and considerate to your kids when you're asking them to obey you. And being thoughtful can also keep you from getting into a discipline situation that was unavoidable by our foresight and kindness as parents. Also, we should pursue grace not only in our judgments, but also in our attitude. We can show concern over sin without acting disgusted. Remember that our battle is against sin, not our kids. And remembering that can help us maintain the right spirit as we parent them. Now, here's, here's a note on that. This idea of graciousness and really all the above principles are excellent helps in obeying Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, which says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Think with me for a moment of things that would provoke you about a boss that you may have or, or have had in the past. Think about that boss that would just provoke you all the time one who enforces rules inconsistently or according to their mood, one that doesn't take time to understand your constraints or your aspirations, one who won't give you any training but expects you to perform perfectly, one who, who never has anything encouraging to say, one who demands you jump to attention whenever they bellow a command from their corner office. <laughs> Don't be that kind of authority in your kid's life. See, so easily we can do all of those things to our kids. We can enforce rules inconsistently according to our moods. We cannot take time to understand our kids' constraints or their aspirations. We can be those who don't give them any training but expect them to perform perfectly. We can be those who never has anything encouraging to say. And we can be those who demand our kids jump to attention whenever we bellow a command. Brother and sister, don't provoke your children unto anger. That would be terrible, but rather bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And we just have a few parting thoughts before the end of this episode. In the last episode, we, we talked about goals for parenting. Remember, we, we asked, why do we parent? We answered that by saying, as Christians, we want our chief uh, desire 
the chief end is that we want our children to one day know Christ and be conformed to his image. While that is certainly true, it's not the only purpose behind parenting, though. Right? Another reason why we parent is because we want our children to learn to live under gracious, godly authority. See, as parents, we are given authority by God to parent our kids. And our parenting prepares our children to live under godly authority. Thus, if we are careless about obedience, we poorly prepare our children to obey God and sit under His authority. If we teach our children to obey, we better prepare them to obey God and sit under His rule and authority. And this has extreme practical benefits as well, since children must learn to be under God's authority in order to sit under the worldly authorities that they will have, government, bosses, in our local church as members to one another, but also to our pastors. And in this, there are two dangers that we need to avoid. The first of these is legalism. Right? We may start thinking about all these things and say, okay, we're going to enforce the standard. No prisoners. This will work if it's the last thing we do. Let's get our kids in line and do all of this. No mercy. And then in the, in the process of all this, we, we forget that, that children get tired, that they spill milk, that God graciously gives us warnings and withholds punishment. So we need to steer clear of caring too much about the fake fruit and not about the roots of our children's hearts. So, so legalism is a ditch. And if it is so, then the other ditch is licentiousness. See, others of us, by contrast, will hear that what's important is the heart. And we'll decide to not care at all about outward behavior. Our behavior is important. We're just going for the heart, man. Because of our personalities, we might become too focused on fairness and allowing ourselves to be sucked into a debate and not consistently require outward obedience of our kids, which would also be terrible for our children. And so we need to understand that both of these things are errors. And we need to guard against our natural inclinations, either to one extreme or the other. And spouses can typically be very helpful with this. We usually, as spouses, lean one way or the other, and God has graciously given you someone that does not lean that way. And as we guard ourselves, though, we should remember that our culture is pressing hard against authority. Not only that, but our kids are also pressing hard against authority. So perhaps for, for more of us, the danger is that we'll be just too permissive to our kids. Either way, we need to be the authority figures in their lives. And as we close, I wanted to give a word of encouragement for weary parents. This may all seem overwhelming and hard to balance, even impossible. You may look at your kid's behavior and their attitude and think, I'm just completely failing. And when that happens, because it will, to all parents, <laughs> don't forget to step back and remember that God's grace is just as sufficient and necessary to help you parent as it is to help you in every other area of your life, and just as it is sufficient and necessary to save you. And also, remember, this is why we have one another as parents in a local church, to help one another and to give wisdom as we pray for one another. And this is an area where many of us rightly recognize that we have failure spots and areas for improvement. And there are many within our church that can help give wisdom or practical counsel on various things. I mean, think about, think about people that you might know even in our church. Many in our church come from non-Christian backgrounds and homes. You might be a first-generation Christian. Or even if you're not a first-generation Christian, there might be some things from your past. That you're like, man, my parents were just very legalistic or, or very licentious. <laughs> and there, there might be a lot of things in your past. That you're like, man, I, I want to do things very differently in order to raise my kids. So we're, we're learning even together, even now, 
all the way through how are we parenting and leading our kids. And our, our local church can be a great help for us in this regards. Right? Some of us are brand new into thinking through some of these things, and others have been thinking through and working through this for a few months or, or years or longer. And this is why we are such a help to one another. This is, this is why we are God's grace to one another. So invite one another in to pray for one another, to offer advice, to pray for one another, that we might all grow in godliness as we strive to train future men and women, these little boys and girls in our homes and our local church. And thanks for tuning into this episode. May we continue to grow and to equip one another to grow in godliness in the days ahead.